Once again, we want to welcome you to Tribe this evening. Um, hope you had a good day. Everyone had a good day. I know the traffic, the traffic is not so bad because children are um, on midterm. So um, we pray that everyone that's making their way here would get here in good time. So today we are looking at... Um, the book of John, still continue on the book of John, and we are in part 24. You know, I was thinking to myself, when, <laughs> when will John end? I hope John will end in 2018, you know? Sometimes, you know, because it's actually very revealing, um, you, like Pastor would say, you, you want to keep drinking from the water hydrant. And um, preparing for a teaching like this is another level of drinking, <laughs> from the water hydrant sometimes you have cold feet you know I, I almost cried when i was told to take john because i prefer to be at the at the receiving end but god will god will help god will help us um pass the information that he wants to be heard in jesus name amen so what we are going to be looking at john chapter 14 it's a 31 verse of 31 verses chapter and we're going to read um, from verse 1 to verse 31. Please let us read together so it makes it more interesting and take away the nervousness from me. Okay? Can we read together? One, two, let's go. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know. Thomas, uh, nicknamed Didymus, said, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one come to the Father except through me. I want to, I want to take a, a, a pause there. Every time, you know, we get to chapter 6, uh, verse 6 in, in this church, I know we get very excited because of the way pastor has drilled the way, the truth, and, and the life. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, so if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own but my father who lives in me does his work through me just believe that i am in the father and the father is in me or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do i tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works i have done and even greater works because i am going to be with the father you can ask for anything in my name and i will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. Ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and, I will, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Because it, is, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. Let's say I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. 
since I live, you would, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them, just like an intertwining. Love me, I love them, my Father will reveal himself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to Jesus, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let us be going. <laughs> you know, the Nigerian lingua, who knows that word? Let us be going. It's like a lingua that's very prominent with us and our children. Let us be going. Jesus was saying, come, let us be going. So, to open up this evening, um, let's, let's just go through a, 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 a question to sort of whet our appetite. So the question goes like this. When was the last time you felt anxious about a certain decision and how did you cope? Who wants to go? When was the last time you felt anxious? Okay, please, there's a hand over there. Thank you, Ma. Is there any other hand? So we'll take this real quickly. When was the last time you felt anxious about a certain decision and how did you cope? Good evening, Ma. Good evening. Good evening. I, I was really anxious about it, making a huge decision recently and uh, it was about um, business and also some personal issues it was basically moving from one phase to another making a huge life decision and I, I noticed I had panic attacks you know thinking about it used to make me panic and be nervous and anxious I would <laughs> it was really crazy and um, one of the ways that I dealt with it I dealt with it negatively um, I was um, looking at myself as a human being, dealing with it. And according to Job, Job says, that which I fear most come upon me. And I thought about this thing negatively, and um, the fear came upon me, and um, there was negative re results. However, coming to the house of God and hearing pastor preach about it, particularly a certain day, and pastor shared a word, and I keyed into that word. And I um, believe in the word of God actually is key for handling and uh, anxiety and panic. So that's how I dealt with that issue, dealing with the word and applying the word of God. Thank you. Thank you very much for being vulnerable. Let's clap. Let's clap for her. It, it takes guts for someone to say, I dealt with it negatively. Well, I was just thinking when you were talking, I thought uh, panic attack is for the evil. <laughs> I didn't know that we Nigerians have panic attack as well. But of course, we, we do have panic, panic attack. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, um, you know, like we, we learned the, the first um, chapter, verse 1 of that chapter. Can we read this word of verse 1, CMM? Verse 1 of that chapter says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus was talking to the disciples. And I, when I read that, I was wondering, this is like the beginning of a chapter. But like Pastor has um, taught us, the book of John is, is diverse in that it's time bound. Just, it's, it's incidents after incidents. So, 
why Jesus was saying this from, from, the, cha- from the, the chapter of the, from the verse 14, from chapter 14 is because in chapter 13, he had begun to tell them about strange things. These guys have been working with him for a while now. He began to tell them about betrayal. He began to tell them about denial. He began to tell them, even from chapter 12, about I will be, I, I, my life, I will give up my life. So, it's, you can imagine the turmoil. I mean, how conflicted the disciples would have been. This guy that had come, we thought was going to give us a kingdom here on earth. We're going to take over and we're going to have thrones. Maybe um, Peter was thinking he would be uh, uh, vice president. Who knows? Maybe Thomas was thinking he would be Lime, sorry, Minister of Information. You know, who knows? So, they were just, people were, they were, they were wondering. So, Jesus could feel the tension going on in the hearts or in the minds of his, his, his friends. And he was saying to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. In fact, if you go to chapter 13, verse 21, I want us to see something in chapter 13, verse 21. Jesus had actually said something that could actually make the disciples really, really, really worried. If you can please put up chapter 13, verse, um, verse 21, or I'll read it while they, while they put it up. It says, now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. You know, exclaim there was in a whisper. I think I know English enough to know that when someone exclaims, the person sort of lifts up their voice and their countenance. So I can imagine just saying, now, wow. So one of them, I won't betray me. You know, or maybe Jesus say, hey, whoa. You know, because it says that Jesus was deeply troubled. And I don't think he just said, one of you here is about to betray me. <laughs> no. Jesus must have let out, you know. So I couldn't help but ask. What exclamation phrase do you use when you're overwhelmed? Who wants to share? Chai. <laughs> Someone said chai. Who else? Who else? What exclamation mark? Some people say I don't die. So I don't know. Maybe Jesus said I don't die. So Judas. Judas. I don't know what he said. But you see, Jesus must have let out something, maybe in Hebrew. You know? I don't know how to speak in Russian. I had a Hebrew word to, to let out here right now. But I know it wasn't funny because that must have caught their attention and they'd be wondering, this guy that we had confidence in, healing the sick, raising the blind, talking to the Pharisees with so much confidence, all of a sudden, this man, he shout, I don't die, oh. So you people want to kill me. You know? So if we, if we continue, John 14, verse 2 and 3. John 14, 2, 3. Same name, please go help us put that up. John 14, 2, 3. It says, Jesus began to speak to them. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The the NIV and the NKJV version says that in my father's house, there are many mansions. Jesus was talking about mansions. So the question to you and I is, why do you think Jesus was telling the disciples about his father's house? Who wants to go? Why do you think Jesus was telling his disciples? Because he had just finished telling them that, look, don't be troubled. And we tried to explain why I, we felt he was saying that to them. All of a sudden, saying to them, that, you know what? In my father's house, there are many mansions. Why do you think Jesus was, was saying that to them? Who wants to go? Who wants to go? Someone help us, please. Okay, there's a hand over there, please. Okay, I, I was just thinking, eh? You know, since he was about to go, somehow they were feeling like, oh, this guy is give, living now without giving us anything. So, what is all this about? So, he was trying to assure them that even if nothing happened here for them, like in houses or properties, that they could get a better place when he comes back. So, he was trying to reassure them that they shouldn't lose hope. 
that even if um, it looks like it's going to be all war, mm. after all this, you're going to have comfort. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. That, that's correct. Jesus was giving a, a form, some form of reassurance to, to these guys because, like we said, he had, let's just, just stick to the exclamation. He had exclaimed, ruffled them a little bit, and started telling them stuff like, don't be troubled. So they're wondering, this guy, you're talking about you're going to die, but he's saying, where I'm going, don't worry, I have a place for you. It could also be because they were highly discouraged. And they, they were thinking about, you know, in terms of their government, they were thinking about earthly wealth and possession and influence. But Jesus was taking their mind from earthly wealth, possession, influence, and saying, you know what, where I'm going to, I'm preserving something even way greater for you. Jesus was taking their mind from, from, from earthly wealth to a kingdom wealth. Again, this, um, there are many um, in my father's house, there are many mansions, house mansions. It's sort of contradictory. But it alludes to the fact that people will have possessions in heaven. I remember pastor preaching, and did they mention it, that maybe some of us will have huts <laughs> in heaven. I, I kind of thought about it, even though he, was, he said it, you know, like um, um, humor. But think about it. Maybe some of us might really have huts in, in God forbid, not here. Some people might have huts in, in heaven when some people have mansions. And why, 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 why am I going down this, this route? Thinking is not about wishful thinking when it concerns working for the Lord. And I'll back it up with the scripture. First Corinthians 13, First Corinthians 3.13 says in the Amplified Version of the Bible. I'll read it real quickly because of time. It says, each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is. For the day of judgment will disclose it because it is to be revealed with fire. It is to be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality and character and worth of each person's work. So I take out three things there. Number one is quality. Number two is character. And number three is worth of each work. So everything you are doing, even as a worker for Christ, three things will be tested. One is quality, two is character, and three is what? I was thinking, it says it will test the character of a person's work. So does it mean your work has a character? Has a persona behind it, and that is so deep. If you summarize everything, what Jesus is saying here is that I will test the value of your work. And by the value of your work, you will be rewarded. So it sort of really drives on the fact that really some of us, We'll have mansions. And I pray everyone here will have mansions in heaven in the name of Jesus. But the question is, what are you doing to secure that mansion? Because it's not wishful thinking. There's an act to it. Because every one of us, our works will be tested. Praise God. Okay, verse 4. I might might add, you know, um, I, I would pastor in very high esteem. Hmm? but trying to crunch the book of John <laughs> made my respect and esteem for the man even go to a different level because I'm like, how do you crunch if a full chapter <laughs> in one hour? So we'll go as far as we can go and I would, I would indulge you. Please go back home and read, read everything you can on these scriptures that we'll bring forth on Wednesday and share because they are really deep. There's a lot of insights. I believe you might even know more than I, I was able to expose from the scripture. Okay, verse 14, let's go on. Jesus, verse 14, can we read that scripture before I explain? Verse 14, 4. Chapter 14, 4, pardon me. 14, 4. Okay. 14, 4, I abbreviated it. But 14, 4, it says, I read. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus was saying to them, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus had spoken a lot about the kingdom. So they ought to know the destination of where he was going. So this, you're wondering why is he giving them a reminder about the way? And interestingly, the early church was called what? The way, isn't it? The the early church was called the way. So why is Jesus reminding them about the way? I kind of feel that the reason why it's reminding them about the way is because the way 
also carries suffering. The way it comes with some form of suffering, persecution and suffering, accusation and suffering. Jesus was saying to them, you know the way I am going. And because you are coming with me, Luke 9.23, Luke 9.23 tells us that he said to all, he was talking to his disciples, if any person will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. How? By disowning himself, forgetting himself, lose sight of himself and his own interest, refuse and give up himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow me means cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying. Jesus was explaining that that is his way. So the Christian life, uh, our lives as born again, yes, it should be an adventure, really, literally an adventure. Not necessarily suffering, suffering as in terms of um, oppression, but of course you will suffer attacks. You will suffer rejection. The friends you used to keep will no longer want to keep you as friends because your ways have changed. They cannot say the kind of things that you say with you or hang out in the places. They, they don't like your kind of places. They don't want you to come and spoil their quote-unquote groove. So Jesus was saying to them that this way will require you, leave, leave that scripture up a little bit, picking up your cross, not once, but daily and dying, daily. The way may require you to lose your life. But guess what? The Bible says when you lose your life, you gain it, isn't it? So that's a good bargain, isn't it? Moving on. Verse 5 says, verse 5. Can we please put up verse 5? Thomas said to Jesus, after Jesus said, you know the way I'm going. Thomas said, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way when we have no idea where you are going? This, this man, Jesus. <laughs> and, and Jesus, this is, like, this is like a classic example of a response you get when people are overwhelmed with your vision. How many of us can relate to that? When people are overwhelmed with your vision. You're casting a vision and someone is like, Oga or madam, have you lost your mind? So Thomas probably couldn't think of anything outside of the fact, like we said earlier, the fact that, you know what, we should have a kingdom here on earth. You said, you know, it seemed, when you came, we, we, we held the promise that you had come to, to establish your kingdom here on earth. And you are saying to me that, you know, the way you are talking about dying, you are talking about suffering. Where's the kingdom? So he couldn't take his head, take his head out of that, that smallness, the smallness of his mind to embrace the, 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 the big picture of the vision of Jesus. Now, never mind that Jesus had, Jesus' command or Jesus' plan was that even though he was telling them, that they would have Judea. Judea typically meant everywhere Jews were gathered around Jerusalem at the time, which is why Jesus told them that they would go preach the gospel to Judea, preach it to the Jews before you go to Samaria, before you go to the ends of the earth. So Thomas's own vision could be that he wanted to see them become kings and sort of, you know, the, the big boys in Judea. But Jesus had a second thinking, something else coming. So the vision seemed so big that Thomas couldn't relate with what Jesus was demanding at the time. And I can relate with this. There are times when I've seen visions of some people. You know, I was, I'll talk more on that later as, as we go on. And, and you kind of panic. You kind of panic for the person. You kind of panic for your, I mean, your role concerning the vision. You kind of panic. So, in verse 6, it says, verse 6, I read, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And you know, this is the place where we as a church get very excited. I thought you'd be excited. We get very excited when we hear that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But Pastor has dealt extensively about the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm not going to go into the, go into the way, the truth, and the life. I just wanted to pick out 
some, some things, some things that I felt I can, I can put as an add-on. Number one was the fact that Jesus wasn't talking to an unbeliever. The guys he was addressing were not unbelievers. Jesus was addressing people that had shared his company, that sort of understood Jesus' concept and his ministry. So it is safe to say Jesus was speaking to the church, the church, because these guys eventually turned out to be leaders of the church. So this kind of tells me that sometimes, as believers, we lose our way. Because Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, if you're writing, I want you to write this down. When you lose your way, what you need to do is look to the way and follow his way. Because Jesus knows that you will lose your way at times. When you lose your way, when you're conflicted about your way, what you need to do is look to the way, the one who says, I am the way, and follow his way. And follow his way. You can tell that I skipped the content. I was going to ask how many of us can relate to an authoritative figure over you, maybe a parent, a leader, um, a boss, you know, casting a vision that didn't make sense at the time. But what was the final outcome? So if anybody could answer that real quickly. Someone, you, someone in authority over you just cast a vision at the time. Was telling you about a certain way. But you couldn't see it. You thought the person, you probably thought the person was crazy. What was the outcome? Okay. Can you please give the mic to you? Okay. Good evening, Tutu. Lord. Hallelujah. Um, this was 14 years ago. And I was in and out of university. I shared this before, so I had a hard time in university and something will happen and all that. So before I went to the final university where I graduated from, I was told to take a Daniel fast for two weeks and it was my first time. And I did. And after the fast, this pastor, I mean, was like a father to me and he told me, in so, 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 and so time, this will happen. And in my head, I'm like, what is this man talking about? All my mates are graduated. Some are getting married, you know, and all that. And truly, I look back now, they've all happened. And it, at that time, I didn't even believe it. Because in, by the next year, I was still not in university. I was just like, this man just came to bubble me with fast. Mm. But now, I look back, they've all happened. All that he said. Hallelujah. And he said that God will redeem time for me, that mm. I should just watch. I'm like, how now? We got past my age, you know. All has happened. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God redeemed time for her. It kind of reminds me when talking about fast. I remember the first time um, pastor called for a 40-day fast. Am I right, Debbie? 40 days fast. When we were orchid. And then they said coasting. I actually felt like this man, <laughs> this guy wants to kill some people. I can never forget someone saw my wife's eyes. And, <laughs> and we're like, Wow. Because we had fasted, we had been praying for the fast to end. <laughs> when you begin to pray for a fast to end. <laughs> and then there was vigils on Monday to Friday. I think that was the first time we initiated that vigil. Monday, I thought when Pastor casted the vision of vigil Monday to Friday, I can't remember. That, that must have been the first time I experienced the Monday to Friday. I'm trying to think now. You know, Monday, Tuesday, I felt like, okay, maybe this man and a few of us we attend Monday. Let's go and see. Monday, see people come. But on Monday, everybody was there. You know, you kind of say, okay, let me go on Tuesday so I won't be the next one left out. You go and see people there on Tuesday. So, okay, maybe I'll rest on Wednesday. But on Wednesday, everybody's there and that's it. Still Friday. So, I mean, that was, so I can relate with you. That was a crazy vision. And the outcome is that our lives never remain the same again. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. So, if you're writing, when conflicted by lies, Look to the truth. Remember, the way, the truth. When you're conflicted by lies, when the world, the devil throws, batters you with different lies and throws you quasi-truths. You know, quasi-truths are lies that resemble truth. It tells you that it's okay to be liberal. 
You know, LGBT is, is okay. God loves all his children. That's a quasi truth. It's not a truth because the Bible is very clear on subjects like that. It's okay to live with, with that man that you're not married to. That's a quasi truth. You, you cohabit as partners. That's a quasi truth. So when the world tries to batter you, the devil throws all those lies at you. What do you do? Look to the truth and follow what he says about you. Look to the truth and follow what Jesus is saying about you. Jesus is saying you are a masterpiece. Jesus is saying you are, you are the light of the world. Jesus is saying that you are a royal priesthood. Chosen, set apart, consecrated for his purpose. Like we say to the teenagers, you are not a yama yama person. So no, no young rascal should be rubbing their hands over your body. No, because you are, you, are the, you are the daughter of a king that makes you a princess. You know, there's a lot of debate about the royal wedding in the United Kingdom. And I've looked at that um, video over and over again. I didn't see anybody dressing scantily saying because I'm a rapper or an artist. Half naked. They were all dressed like royalty. So it actually seems like there was a code. Maybe in the card when they say, when you are coming, Oga, dress well. I don't know. I don't know. So but what, are we, what, what was the point here? The point is that because you are royalty, you shouldn't be acting like a slave. No. We say this over and over, over to, our, to, to our teenagers. You're royalty. You're the son of a king. You're a prince. You should be riding on a horse. I can never forget that scripture. When pastor says, uh, uh, I mean, I can't remember where in Proverbs now, but slaves are riding on horses Why princes are walking on barefoot. Everybody say no more. Praise God. The life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What that does that is spells hopelessness. You are writing. It spells hopelessness for certain people. Why? Because apart from Jesus, death is the only certainty. And when we say death, we're talking about emotional death. We're talking about mental death. We're talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. We're talking about eternal death. It's the only certainty apart from Jesus. Pastor will always share that his, his father is telling him that there are many roads to the market, not that market called heaven. There's only one way, and it's narrow. It's narrow. Jesus was saying that I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So why we rejoice as Christians, as believers? Guess what? For some people, it spells hopelessness, doom for them. So they're writing, God has placed us in the lives of those kind of people to point them to the truth. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to point them to the truth. It's our responsibility to point them to the truth. Note that when Jesus was making this remark, at the time, the law was the, was the big thing, was the in thing. Everybody followed the law. So to make heaven, you had to follow the Torah. You had to do good deeds called mitzvah. When you copulate those things together, you will make heaven. Jesus came. Jesus was the one who, who, who propagated grace, salvation in Christ. What they knew, even though they were different factions, the Pharisees believed something that the Sadducees literally did not think there was heaven or hell. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't care about that. All they knew was the law. Follow the law. But what Jesus was saying to them when he said, I am the life, was that, you know what? I am bigger than your laws. If you want to have life, follow me. Follow me. Now, amongst these guys, I'm sure they must have been very good people in the Sadducees or Pharisees. They must, be, they, must have been, they must have been kind people. How does this apply to us today? Many of us, including myself here, have friends, we have families, we have relatives, we have colleagues that are kind, they are generous, they are even loving, they are caring. In fact, they are more caring than some Christians you know, right? But guess what? 
Die meinen, oh, make heaven. I'm the good guy. Will not make heaven. Outside of salvation in Jesus Christ. So this should actually make her heart bleed for them. You should actually be uneasy when you think about such people. I have, I have siblings that I, I, I mean, because I know when the trumpet blows. So the truth is, is that, like I said before, God has planted us in the lives of these people in order to point them to the truth. In Titus 3, verse 5 to 7, the scripture says, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What that is saying to us is that there is no salvation outside of Jesus, even for the good guy or the good girl. Because of his grace, verse 7, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, NLT, I'll, put, I'll read it. It says, because of his kindness, because of God's kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ and even trusting is not of yourself. You are saved not by trusting in your good deeds or your good work or your misfire or believing in the Torah. It's by trusting in Christ. It too is a gift from God. Everybody say gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Moving on, verse 7. Jesus was saying to his disciples, responding to Thomas, if you had known me, if you really knew me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know, you do know him and have seen him Philip said in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus was responding to Thomas and then Philip chips in again and says, God, show us the Father. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going to. Philip is saying, show us, show us the Father. I can imagine it must have been an emotional roller coaster for these guys. Show us the Father. So, Jesus' remark, if you had known me, I don't think it was a remark to um it was a remark to unbelief it was rather a remark of it was addressing incomplete knowledge it was saying to them that your knowledge is still limited about who i am why because i believe every one of them knew that jesus was the son of god before this time even though it's not recorded in john peter had said in matthew that you are jesus the son of god and jesus told him that upon this rock I will build my church. There are many other things that could have made them believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They saw him raise the dead. Lazarus was dead for days. They saw him speak to the storm, calm the storm. They saw him walk on water. They saw him open the eyes of the blind. They saw him open the ears of the deaf. They saw him heal lepers. So without a doubt, they knew that this one was the Son of God. But yet, one of them was saying, and I'm think, thinking he was speaking on behalf of um, his, his bodies, that Show us the Father. Show us the Father. And it, 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 it helps me appreciate more the scripture that we, we read and pray a lot in this church. In Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, it's not on my notes, but I just want to take out one part that really, really gets, you know, sort of sets my fire. It says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Your perception of Jesus should be complete. Your perception of Jesus' purpose for you on earth should be complete. What he has endured with, endured with should be complete. Should be complete. So to know the Father, they needed to understand Jesus was the express image of God. So they were looking at God outside of Jesus. 
Meanwhile, what did he need to do? If he wanted to see God, he just look at Jesus and say, this is how God is. You want to know how God thinks? Look at how Jesus thinks. You want to know how God acts? Look at how Jesus acts. You want to know how Jesus, God walks? Look at how, how Jesus walks. But they were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were trying to separate both. Show us the Father. Show us the Father. But Jesus was saying, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Praise God. Verse 8. Notice something that I had not noticed, I mean, I've noticed for the first time. Philip called Jesus Lord. It says, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. It's like saying, God, show us God. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Show us the Father. God, show, God, show me God. You know, and again, that's not a, a, um, a cry of unbelief. For me, I think that's a cry of hunger. It's like Moses was crying out in Exodus 33 when he said, Show me your ways, O God. I want to know your ways. And what did God do? He says, You know what? I will show you. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. And I will call out my name. And indeed, he did that for, for Moses. So you can even tell because Philip was saying, That will suffice it for us. And Jesus did not rebuke him. I mean, not, not, he didn't rebuke him out of anger. But Jesus said something to Philip in verse, verse, um, from verse 9. He says, do you not know me, Philip? I've been with you after all this while. And yet you still don't know who I am. Go back, please. You still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show, you him, show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. I kind of feel like Jesus was saying to, to, to Philip, Abba, after all this while, you are still asking kindergarten questions. And I can relate totally. You know, I said I will share mine later. I, I, I can relate totally because many times, when, 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 like, when pastor casts like a vision, Concerning church, sometimes I'd be like, "This ah, man," but I get a conviction immediately that you know what? He's seeing something that my eyes cannot see. In fact, he's hearing a particular song, a rhythm is dancing to that none of us can see yet. So what do I do? I just dance around with the rhythm, hoping that I will catch it soon. And many times, because I followed that route, I have always caught it. Praise God. So I, I, can feel, I, can, I can feel Jesus' pain when he says to Philip, you're still asking this kind of question. Like, how about Philip? How about? Not, adult, not, not rebuking him and say, what's wrong with you? But how about Philip? You should know better. And Hebrews 5, 11 and 12 says to us that concerning this, you can write down the scripture references. I'll just take some part of it. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. Since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. Verse 12. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's word. So Philip was still somewhat feeding on milk when he ought to have been feeding on solid food at that time. And that must have been very irritating for Jesus, but... In his magnanimity, he said, Abba, Philip, you're still asking for Father when you can see me. After all this while, don't you know who I am? So in fact, show, saying, show me the Father that Philip was saying at that time, you know, saying, show me the Father wasn't ignorance. It wasn't ignorance. Show me the Father actually was stagnation 
Philip wasn't ignorant. He was just stagnated in his view, just like many Christians. Like the scripture just said, when you ought to be teaching others and growing, you are still asking. Um, I'm still, I'm thinking about taking workers form. I'm thinking about joining NCRO. You've been in church for four years. I'm thinking about taking the journey. Meanwhile, the devil is still slapping you. Someone trigger your button. You're everywhere. No self-control. I don't hear from God. I'm thinking about... I'm sure you can relate to Philip. Because at that point in time, Philip wasn't ignorant. He knew these things were happening. He could tell. But he was stagnated was stagnated. May we not be stagnated in Jesus' name. Verse 11. Jesus was saying, and I'm paraphrasing, just believe I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He was saying that the works I do, they are speaking for themselves. They are speaking for themselves. Recall that in verse, in chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus was talking to his disciples that is the burden of proof of his works when the miracles he was doing. That's how he could tell the miracle he was doing. He said it again in chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. You can take that for reference as well. The burden of proof was in the works that he was doing. The burden of proof was in the work that he was doing. So without a doubt, it was obvious that when Jesus was saying, I am the resurrection and the life, indeed Jesus was in mincing words. He is and he was. I mean, he is the resurrection and the life. For the disciples at that time, he was the resurrection and the life and they had no reason to believe anything else. So, at this point, I'd like to ask, what are some other examples? Some other examples that Jesus, of things that Jesus did that could make you conclude that indeed, this Jesus, his works attested to who he was. What examples? Maybe one person. What are the examples? His works were attesting to the fact that he was the son of God, the resurrection and life. I shared some earlier. Just one example. One example. Anyone? An example of the fact that Jesus' works were attesting to who he was. Okay. For time, let me just answer that question. Like I said earlier, Jesus walked on water. No one before that time. I was comparing miracles for miracles. Yes, people had healed, raised people from the dead in the Old Testament. But Jesus raised one that had been dead for days. No one had, someone had prayed that, you know what, God, take away the rain. God, bring back the rain. But no one had been able to rebuke the storm and say, shut up. And the storm shut up. None of those guys had walked on water. Even the one that parted the Red sea, Red sea. And so on and so forth. Jesus had taken bread and fish. Just broke it. Just imagine in church. Pastor just breaks bread and begins to feed us. Something inside of you say, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. That's, what, that's what happened. It has never happened before. They were eating bread. Manufactured by his hand. This was not manna falling from heaven now. It's falling from heaven. I said, okay, God was delivering it. This one, the man broke it. Say, pass, pass, pass. Next thing, see, brother, where they brought basket, Ojoro. You must feel somehow about that. So all those things are tested to the fact that this man, this man couldn't have been an ordinary man. Praise God. Moving on, verse 12. I think at this point, we might need to skip some content. Uh, okay, so you read off verse 12 for yourself. Verse 12 through to... Verse 12. Let me just take out something from verse 12. See, Jesus, if you put it up on the screen, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do greater works. So one of the things I took out from that greater works, apart from the fact of healing the sick, raising the dead, the blind, you know, leprosy, I was thinking about another part of greater works. And I explained, do you know that inspired giving it's a miracle to someone else who has a need and has been praying to God. So if you think that you have never seen a miracle, that is a miracle. Imagine someone praying to God for some bottles of milk 
for their child because they cannot afford it. Really crying out to God. And God places it in your heart to go put some money in that person's hand. Is that not a miracle? Is that not a miracle? That's a miracle. Inspired giving is a miracle because you are answering some, God is using you to answer someone else's prayers. So, I'd like you to write that we are created to be miracle workers just as our master before us. Every one of us here was created to be a miracle worker just as our master before us. We were created to be miracle workers just as our master before us. And in verse 13, Jesus was saying to disciples, ask for anything, anything in my name. But he ended that, that um, verse with a, with a clause, so the son can bring glory to the father. I, I, I conclude my humble summation from that scripture is the fact that really God answers every prayer that glorifies his son. So if God is not answering the prayer and he's not saying anything to me about that prayer, either a wait or a no or a slow or a grow, then I believe that my motive for that prayer may be wrong. I'll say that again. I believe God answers every prayer that glorifies the Son in God. So if God is not saying anything concerning that prayer, either a wait, a no, a slow, as in telling him to slow down, or a grow, then I believe that the motive behind that prayer may be in question. May be in question. So what is it, what is it you are praying for? What is the motive for that prayer? A, a quick example is, you want to be wealthy. Why do you want to be wealthy? Have you really thought about it? Why do you want to be wealthy? Who would your, who your wealth go help? Like we say in this part. Who, your, who, would, who would benefit? How far reaching would your wealth be? So I'm going to skip some content. Go to verse uh, 15 and 16. Read on your own. I want to take out um, a part from 15. When Jesus was saying, if you love me, keep my commandments so right there i put what are some commandments of jesus you know i did a research i saw that i never knew before now that jesus had over 50 commandments in the new testament alone his own commandments not the commandments of um the torah or moses not the 613 about 50 or more so i took out seven of them that i felt were very pertinent to us as christians number one is repent repent jesus want, he commanded us to repent matthew 4 17 Number two, Jesus commanded us to believe that Jesus is in the Father. John 14, 11. Number three, Jesus commanded us to take up our cross and follow him daily, like we read in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Number four, Jesus commanded us to pray always. You find that in Luke 21, 36. Number five, Jesus commanded us to pray for our enemies. Pray for your enemies. Matthew 5, verse 44 and 45. Number 6, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. You find that in Matthew 28, from, 20, from 18 to 20. And finally, number 7, Jesus commanded us to love one another. Love one another. As a matter of fact, when it, com- when it comes to loving, Jesus sort of capped it in Mark 12 verse 13 and 31 i will not read it he was saying that you know you should love god love your neighbors and he he ended ended by saying that there's no other commandment that is greater than those commandments every other command he has given the greatest was that you love god all your heart all your mind all your strength and you love your neighbors so jesus was big on love jesus in fact jesus was bigger on love than on fighting and slaying the enemies. I'll give you another example. When they came to arrest him, when, when, when Peter brought out the sword and chopped off someone's ear, what did Jesus do? He responded in love. He did not react. He responded. So the question to you and I, when people do things to you, how, what's your, is it a reaction or a response? I'm not saying allow the enemy ride on your head and kill you. God forbid. But I'm saying, 
is it a reaction or a response? What the scripture tells me that Jesus expects a response from us more than a reaction. You might seem like a fool, but even the Bible tells me that for people like that, God fights their battle. Guess what? Can you fight your battle more than God? In fact, when God is fighting your battle, you'll be the one begging him that, Baba, please stop. When you see the way he's dealing with your enemies. Praise God. Okay, take out one thing from verse 18. From verse 17. When Jesus says that, I will not leave you as orphans. Verse 18. Verse 1 to 18, please. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will not abandon you as orphans. Orphans need protection. They need provision. They need guidance and so on and so forth. Jesus is saying to, to us that I will not abandon you as orphans. You get protection, provision, guidance, care, love. And he, and he fulfilled that in the, in the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans because he said when he goes, he will send the Holy Spirit for us. I'm skipping a lot of content. You need to read. Uh, the good thing is that I've outlined... We've outlined the um, verses we're going to um, teach from here. So you can take the verses and go back and just lock yourself up and read deeper into it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit himself will minister to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to go to verse 23. And I think we'll end with verse 23. Can we put up verse 23 on, 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 the, on the screen? Here. Okay, Jesus said, Jesus replied, All who love me will come, will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. We will come and make our home with each of them. If you, can you take it back to verse 2? Verse 2 of this chapter, verse 2. When Jesus was saying to them that in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Yeah, it was saying that God will come and make his home with us. The word mansion there is the Greek word mone, mone, M-O-N with that funny sign above it. And what mone means is mansion, like abode, residence. Jesus was saying to them that he will come and make his abode is Monet. They were saying, he was saying that, you know what, I will come and make my home. I will come and, I will bring heaven to Monet, something like that. I will, kind of sound like Monet, you know what I mean? <laughs> I will, <laughs> forgive me, Pastor. I will bring heaven to Monet with you. What Jesus was saying to his disciples that I was, I'm bringing heaven on earth. I'm bringing heaven on earth. You don't have to wait you get to heaven to enjoy all those things, I will bring money to you. And that is just so amazing. For me, that's like the most super thing I took out for this entire chapter. And I'm saying, God, I want to begin to see the money. Because think about it. What is in heaven? He was saying to them, in my father's house, there are many mansions. There are rooms for you. And mansions, streets of gold, all those enjoyment. He's saying, I will bring it to you. So what is in heaven? Picture. Good health. Gastrobier, wealth, gastrobier, peace, gastrobier, joy, it's my portion over here, and so on and so forth. Jesus is saying that I will bring heaven to you. So if you're writing, you could write, feel that as the last point we're taking this heaven. The Lord will come and give us heaven on earth. Hallelujah. I mean, let's just clap our hands to the Lord. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, finally, verse, let's take verse 30. Verse 30. Verse 30. I don't have much time to talk to you because the ruler of this, I don't have much time to talk to you. <laughs> because the ruler of this world approaches, God forbid, he has no power over me. What was Jesus saying here? Jesus was about to go to the cross. Bearing your sins, my sins, and the sins of the whole world. And he was saying to the disciples, the devil has no power over me. Literally, the scripture says that he has nothing in me. 
Jesus was saying the devil, he called him the prince of this world, has nothing in me. Everybody say, in me. And let me try and explain that a bit. He wasn't saying the devil doesn't have anything on me. Because why? My sins alone on him was wahala. And your sins are well, as well. Your sins, my sins, our sins were on him, but they were not in him. So he had to bear our sins like a cross and took it and was nailed with our sins. But guess what? His blood washed away all the sins that were on him. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he was more momentarily separated from the Father. Why? Because the Father cannot stand sin. Look, you can't mess around with sin. Some people say big sins. You cannot mess around with sin. The moment you say, yes, Lord, and you begin to follow him, make up your mind that sin should be away from you, whatever it is that is sin. And our sins vary. What may be, what you may, what may be tripping your button might not be what might be tripping my button. Jesus bared, bore all those sins on him and had to wash those sins away with the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, the Father would not have allowed Jesus come into the Holy of Holies. And because Jesus did that, guess what? Every one of us here can enter into the Holies of Holies. And that's just beautiful. You can pray. The Bible says you can come boldly before his throne of grace. His throne of grace. We can come boldly before his throne of grace. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So the question to you and I is this, as we close. What does the devil have in you? What can he go before the father and brag about? I'll end with this story. Years ago, I was going through a very tough time financially. And I had to rely on um, a close, I mean, loved one for resources. Because I was transitioning in my business. My previous business was facing a lot of challenges. You know, I was working, but I wasn't seeing the money for some reason. I had to rely. Sometimes it would be 50,000 naira, Sometimes 30,000 naira to carry I and my family. You know, and I can remember one of those days. I felt very emotional. And I was crying in my living room. You know, just turned my back. I, I did a, I did a um, what's his name now? Ezekiel? Ezekiel, yeah? Ezekiah, I turned my face to the wall. I was crying. <laughs> you know, really, I was really hurt, burnt, and I was crying. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that, "Look, never take anything from that man again." For obvious, I mean, for his reasons, I'm not going to go into that. Now, for some other people, they can take something from that man, but for me, the instruction was I wasn't to take anything from that man. So I had a choice. Either shove it aside and cry out to the man for help or believe that word, hold on and obey it. So guess what I did? I obeyed it. It took a while, but guess what? God turned my finances around real shortly. I didn't have to rely on him for, and it's been years. And guess what? It, it, it still reminds me sometimes when I get, because I, I kind of love the guy when I'm close, it, it keeps on reminding me. Anytime I try to get carried away, that look, don't take anything from that guy. And sometimes, guess what? It reminds me through my wife because there's nothing I say to my wife as, a, as an accountability partner that she will not remind me. That Oga, remember they said, don't take anything from that guy. So in case you're getting carried away, I'll say, ah! Because that guy seems like he can get some things to me. But guess what? God is more interested in getting a lot of things through me. Praise the Lord. So the question is, what does the devil have in you? What instruction has he given to you? What has he said, don't take, don't touch, don't do, don't smell? That you are taking, touching, doing, or smelling. Let's bow down our heads as we bow down our hearts. In one of the scriptures we didn't read, the Bible said, Jesus was saying that, I leave you peace, not as the world gives to you. Not as the world gives to you. Not as the world, because the world cannot give you the peace that Jesus can give. So you are here. 
you know that you do not have the peace that only God can give. What does the devil have on you? You know. I may not know. Nobody else here may know, but God knows. So I want to give you an opportunity to settle your score tonight. You know the devil has something on you. You know you are holding on to something that belongs to him. You are going somewhere that belongs to the prince of this world. Today the, God, the Lord is calling you to, to drop it at his feet. He wants us to pray with you so you can, you can realign yourself with God. He wants us to pray with you so you can begin a relationship with God. Just put up your hand and take a card. The ushers will put a card in your hand so that the Lord will give you peace. Peace that is not like the world gives. Thank you, sister. God bless you. God bless you. I remember pastor saying on the God who did it, it takes courage to put up your hand and declare that I will follow Christ. If you are here, the call is for you last time. You know we are speaking to you. Put up your hand and take a card and settle your score tonight. Amen. Father, we just want to say thank you for your daughter surrendering to you in the name of Jesus we ask. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.